0: Shalom, I'm Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries. And I'm so glad that you're joining us, taking some of your precious times so that we can tell you more about... God's plan for the ages, for both Jews and Gentiles. Once again, we're going to be talking about Psalm 23, and I know that it's going to be a blessing to you. Along with me this day is Bobby Walter, and I'm so glad to have Bobby
1: uh, with us as well. Shalom, Bobby. Shalom, Mitch, and welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us here on The Chosen People. And Mitch, like you said, today we're going to try to wrap up our little series here on Psalm 23 with the sixth and final verse from the Psalm. And uh, I don't know about you, but I've just really been blessed as, honestly, our time together here on the program has forced me to really meditate upon and and think more about Psalm 23 and and take the truths that are communicated there really to heart. And uh, I've I've gotten a lot out of this.
0: Yeah, me too. Bobby, David is definitely one of my biblical heroes. I don't know how many of you out there love David. Uh, I want to give a, a little bit of an advertisement, really, for Chuck Swindoll's book on the life of David. I teach a course at our Feinberg program, and when I teach that leadership class, one of my main textbooks is Swindoll's book about David. I mean, he is a leader's leader. There's something, a confidence, a humility, a vulnerability, and yet strength about King David that I just emulate, and I find it inspirational.
1: Yeah, I remember taking that class, Mitch, and honestly, it was one of my favorite courses <laughs> going through the Feinberg program. I mean, it was definitely in the top 20.
0: Out of 18 courses, yeah, that's good. Yeah,
1: But that book on David by <laughs> by uh, Chuck Swindoll is. Really, one of my favorites. And one thing I loved about it is when we look at the life of David, there's nothing monolithic about it. There's nothing one way. He experienced so much in his life extreme highs, extreme lows, and everything in between. And it's just so relational. It's something that we can really relate with as followers of Jesus today.
0: I think that it's really important to be honest when you talk about biblical heroes, too. And that's one of the reasons I like Swindoll's books. I mean, if we start with David's fall, if we start with David's sin, uh, with Bathsheba, I mean, it it got worse and worse and worse the more you read about it. Mm -hmm. And so it's not that he was a king who was out of touch with the difficulties of life. He made a wrong move with Bathsheba, but he made it 100 times worse because Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, was a faithful servant And David actually sent him to the front lines to his death because he wanted to steal his wife. I mean, it's just horror after horror. And, of course, God took his child. He was judged for what he did, no doubt about it. But God uses failed and frail human beings for his glory. Now, Bobby, you're still young, you know, but that sure comforts me. (laughs) I've had more time. To mess up than you. But a lot of you out there understand that life is difficult. Now, I, I want to talk about that for a moment if, if I have some time, Bobby. The Hebrew word there for loving kindness uh, is one of my favorite words in the Bible. It's the word chesed. Mm-hmm. And chesed is sometimes translated loyalty, loving kindness, or love. But chesed, really is very similar. It's almost synonymous with the Hebrew word chen, which is the word grace. And chesed and grace are twin sisters in many ways because you never deserve chesed. And grace, by its definition, is getting exactly what you don't deserve, Mm. unmerited favor. It's the same in both Testaments. Grace is grace. It began with Abram, didn't it? When God called Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, he promised Abram in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, that he would make him a great nation, he would make his name great, he would give him a land, that he would bless him. And then in in verse 3 of Genesis 12, he says, I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. If I sound excited about it, Bobby, I, I am excited. Grace is exciting. Chesed is exciting. And, And the basis of God's covenant with Abraham is chesed. His loving kindness, his chesed will never be taken away from Abram. We read over and over in various passages of the Bible. And so when God set his love upon the Jewish people, when he chose Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, he exercised his chesed, his loving kindness, and i think david knew that in fact that loving kindness that mercy and grace that loving kindness extended all the way through the bible in jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 through 34 we have what's known as the new covenant mm-hmm. we know that new covenant was fulfilled by jesus and he outright in luke chapter 22 states that he's fulfilling that prophecy when he gives the disciples to take of his his cup So grace follows people in the Bible. It follows undeserving people. It follows people who do not merit God's favor. And I want to be honest. As a Jewish believer, Jewish people are still God's chosen people, but we're not chosen because of our obedience. We're chosen because he loves us. He extends his chesed to the Jewish people. And that is why he will never forsake the Jewish people because we never deserve to be chosen, and we don't deserve to stay chosen, (laughs) but he loves us. He extends his chesed. So when David says, surely, goodness, the Hebrew word tov, which can also be translated beautiful, surely, goodness and covenant faithfulness and loyalty that is unmerited will follow us all the days of our lives. It followed David all the days of his life, I mean, he blew it after blew it, but it still followed him. And God's grace follows the Jewish people. You can't understand David without understanding chesed, loving kindness.
1: Right, Mitch. So just to pause and and summarize here uh, what you're saying about chesed, it is God's love, God's mercy, God's faithfulness in the context of a covenant, in the context of a promise that he has made. And I think it's really just so powerful when we look at this word chesed and how David is using it here. It has this idea, again, of, of covenant love, of God doing his part, God acting and showing love and showing grace and showing mercy according to his promises. Uh, this is powerful and meaningful for us because time and time again throughout the scripture, like you've mentioned, we as the human beings, we're not the protagonists, we're not the heroes in the story. Uh, All the great heroes of the faith, apart from Jesus himself, all the great heroes of the faith, they messed up, whether it was Abraham, whether it was Moses, whether it was David, uh, whether it was Peter, uh, or even Paul, you know, we, we all fall short but God is the one who steps in and demonstrates that love by taking action according to his covenant promises. And what I really love about this passage in Psalm 23.6 is the way he says that uh, goodness, surely, right? Surely, without a doubt, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And that word in the Hebrew for follow is radaf, which means uh, not, not follow in the sense of, you know, a sheep following a shepherd, but instead it's like, it's like a, a, someone in the military going out and pursuing someone that they're going to overtake. So, for David to use these words, uh, it's very intentional, it's very strong language. Goodness and loving kindness are going to pursue me all the days of my life. And again, God does this for his chosen, whether it's his chosen nation, Israel. I I believe, I'm convinced that God is still pursuing that nation according to his covenant promises.
0: Absolutely. And he pursues us too. And that's loving kindness, Bobby. He loves us, not because we deserve it,
1: but because he chose to love us. Last month, during our September 11th conference on 9-11 and the New Middle East, we were blessed to have Ann Graham-Lotz give the keynote address on Friday night.
0: Well, Bobby, I can tell you this. When I grow up, I want to preach like Ann Graham-Lotz. I mean, it was phenomenal. I think she's just a wonderful, godly woman. And she gave the gospel and motivation for us to preach the gospel in a way that I will never forget. I hope that this is really going to bless you uh, more than you can ever imagine.
2: All of us who uh, were alive on 9-11 remember exactly where we were. Uh, it's just indelibly impressed on our minds. I was here at home, and my daughter called me and said a plane had i uh, gone into the Trade Tower in Manhattan, and I thought, you know, a little Piper Cup had bumped into it. But I turned on the television, and to my horror, saw um, airliner embedded in the first Trade Tower. And while I watched, the second airliner hit the second Trade Tower. And then the first Trade Tower imploded, and then the second Tower imploded. And I remember putting my hands over my mouth and crying out, oh, no. And one of the things that was so shocking, besides I mean everything, but but I knew I was watching on my television screen people who were dying, who were stepping into eternity. And I wondered how many of those people who were stepping into eternity weren't ready to meet God, and were they not ready to meet God because people like me had never shared the gospel with them. So the impact of 9-11 on my life was to uh, be renewed in my commitment to share the gospel. And this was refreshed for me when I saw the pictures coming out of Afghanistan. And I know you've also seen those horrific pictures. The one that's indelibly impressed on my mind as the trade towers coming down, are those hundreds of people running across the tarmac, clinging to the evacuation plane, climbing in the wheel wells, and hanging on when the plane took off and then dropping to their deaths. And it was a picture of people who were desperate to be saved. And the Lord just seemed to whisper to me, that's a picture of the whole world. And the whole world is desperate for salvation. And as a result, I refreshed and renewed my commitment to tell people how they can be saved, renewed my commitment to the gospel. I asked the Lord to show me if indeed I did have a heart for the gospel. And what he showed me is that I had a heart for the gospel, but it was small. So I ask the Lord to enlarge my heart for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe he has to the point that when the secular press tries to describe me, they describe me as an evangelist. And I'm not. I've asked the Lord for that gift, but he's withheld it from me. But what they're seeing is an enlarged heart for the gospel. So I want to ask you, do you have a heart for the gospel? And is it possible that your heart needs to be enlarged? If you'll turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, there are three characteristics of a heart for the gospel that I see in this passage. And the first is that a heart for the gospel is consciously aware of God's call. Four times in these first seven verses, Paul refers to calling. And he says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle. And, and he says he's a servant of Jesus. It's the most beautiful picture of his relationship with Jesus because servants were attentive to their master's needs. They were um, available for their master's use. They were very um, attentive to his voice, and they were obedient, submissive to whatever their master's will was. And, and he was called, first of all, to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you and I also are called to the person of Jesus Christ. He says that in verse 6. You also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. I remember years ago, I was going through a a terrible spiritual experience. I mean, it was very good for me, but for seven days the Lord just convicted me of sin after sin after sin in my life that I didn't know I had. And it was uh, an Isaiah 6 experience. It was spiritually exhausting, it was um, painful, and at the end of that time I didn't think I could continue in ministry. I was so aware of the sin that I had piled up in my life, and although I'd confessed it, I knew God had cleansed me, I'd asked for His filling, I just didn't feel spiritually strong enough to minister in His name. So I asked Him for a recall, and He took me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, and I put my name in it, but Anne, you're called to fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I thought, you know, I can do that. I want to spend time with Jesus. When I'm called to Him, I want to spend time with him, I want to know him, I want to hear his voice, I want to be obedient to him, I want to bring him glory, I want to love him, I want to serve him. And um, so I became very aware that my first calling is to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Paul says in verse 1, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, set apart for the gospel of God. And Paul knew what his mission was. He was set apart for the gospel. The moment Paul was converted, he was called, and can I ask you, have you been converted? And if you've been converted, you've been called to share the gospel. I think a call of God becomes a command when you hear the call with your name on it. (laughs) And that happened for me in 1974. My husband and I went to Lausanne, Switzerland for the International Congress on World Evangelism, and we listened to speaker after speaker after speaker, great lineup of speakers, and came home. And I thought, you know, a Congress on World Evangelism wouldn't be necessary, at least in the United States, if ordinary people like me were sharing the gospel with our neighbors. And I had never shared the gospel with my neighbors. So before I lost my nerve, I picked up the phone, I called my neighbors invited them for coffee. They came. We talked about nothing for an hour because I just couldn't work up the nerve to share the gospel. And finally, there was no easy transition. I just blurted out, you know, what I had asked them there for. And I shared the gospel with them and told them how they could be saved. And one of my neighbors got up and ran out the door. The others started talking about baptism in the church they went to and, you know, the rest of it. I just handled it so badly. but But you know something? God honored my effort, and within two years, every single one of those neighbors came to faith in Jesus Christ. Two of them became uh, Christian leaders. So it was in Lausanne, I guess, that I heard God's call to share the gospel, but then it became a command with my name on it. When have you shared the gospel with your neighbor, the person that you work with, the person you go to school with? A heart for the gospel is consciously aware of not only God's call for the person of Jesus, but for the purpose of sharing the gospel. Paul knew what his mission was, but he also wasn't confused on his message. <laughs> he knew what his message was. So in chapter 1, in verse 1, verse 2, verse 9, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, he refers to God's gospel. He knew that his message was the gospel. In verse 2, It's the Gospel that God promised beforehand through the Prophets in the Torah, in the Old Testament. Verse 3, He provided it by sending His Son, Jesus. Verse 4, He proved it when He raised Jesus from the dead. So listen to me. Our message is the Gospel. It's not politics. It's not prosperity. It's not, you know, equity or equality. Because you can feed the hungry and you can clothe the naked. You can house the homeless. You can eliminate abortion on demand. You can reverse global warming. You can eliminate nuclear weapons. You can redistribute wealth so the wealthy aren't so rich and the poor aren't so poor, and everyone will still go to hell. So our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is it? And I'm just going to give it to you in a nutshell. I wish I could go into detail, but there's no time. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Acts 4.12, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby you can be saved. Just the name Jesus. Jesus said, John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one, no Gentile and no Jew, no Buddhist and no Baptist, no Muslim, no Methodist, no one will come to the Father, except they come through faith in me. And that's the gospel.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And Mitch, I'm sure you'll agree with me. I've really enjoyed our time going through Psalm 23, but we still have a little bit more to cover. Absolutely. Uh, At the very end, the the tail end of of the Psalm in verse 6, David gives this hopeful glimpse of what he's looking forward to. He says, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this David here, he has like this uh, this eternal view in mind of God's blessings coming to pass uh, forever and ever and ever, and him dwelling in that place, in that kingdom kind of place. We mentioned chesed and the covenant context of chesed. And I think it's also important as we sort of close out Psalm 23 to talk a bit about the Davidic covenant, that promise that David received from God about this kingdom, about this future, about this this eternal dwelling place. So, in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 16, we get this promise. And what's interesting here is that David receives this promise, but it What's included is this descendant of David, this special descendant of David, who will ultimately be the king, who will rule and reign on the throne that will be established by God forever and ever and ever. And really, that's special descendant when we come to the New Testament. You know, honestly, even before that, when we come to the prophets, we get more and more glimpses and more and more information about this descendant of David, who ultimately would be the Messiah. In Ezekiel 37, he's described as this king, this descendant of David, who will be the shepherd over the entire nation of Israel. And then of course, when we come to the New Testament, when we read about that in the Gospels, we see him presented to us in many ways as that seed of David. I I mean, honestly, even the way that the New Testament opens up in Matthew 1.1, Matthew begins by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Christ, the son of David, and the son of Abraham
0: absolutely and when jesus returns he'll return as the son of david to jerusalem to set up his rightful throne and demonstrate that the promise that nathan gave to david that they would never lack someone on to sit on the throne of david that will be jesus he will sit on that throne and so i can't imagine that david didn't know about this covenant when he was writing psalm 23 there were so many parallels and so what was David's hope? Practically speaking, that his kingdom would last forever, that he would have a son on the throne forever, and that he would dwell in the presence of the Lord forever himself. And I think we see that Jesus, upon his return, will establish his kingdom. I believe it'll last for a 1,000 years based upon the book of Revelation, and we'll see if I'm right. And, uh, but after that, we will enter the eternal state that is described in the book of Revelation, with the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And I think David, he may not have known all of these facts, because last time I checked, David never had the book of Revelation to read. (laughs) But I think he had the covenant, and he understood that because of God's loving kindness and grace, nothing could take this promise away from him or from his descendants. And so I think David had a complete, solid expectation that he would dwell in the house of the Lord, how long? Forever. Forever. And we have that same hope, don't we?
1: We do, we do, even to this very moment.
0: Absolutely. David writes, "'Mercy and goodness will follow you, "'chesed and beauty,' the Hebrew word tov again, "'all the days of your life. "'They will constantly pursue you, "'even when you stray from the sheepfold.'" God has extended an invitation for you, my dear friend to dwell in his house forever. And all you have to do is receive this truth and allow him, Jesus, Yeshua, to lead you as your great shepherd. Experience his chesed now by accepting him as your Messiah
1: and Lord. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. If you've missed any of the messages in this study on the Good Shepherd from Psalm 23, you can catch up online when you go to chosenpeople.com radio. And while you're there, be sure to drop us a line to let us know that you're listening this weekend. We love hearing from our listeners and making new friends, so please reach out today. And when you do, we'll send you a special gift for free as our way of saying thank you for connecting with us. Once again, you'll find us at chosenpeople.com radio. Or you can give us a call. The number to dial is 212-223-2252. That's 212-223-2252. And now here's Misha Getz and Mitch Glazer to close us with the ironic benediction.
0: may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you may the face of the lord shine upon you and give you peace Bashem shall Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.